3: Bag loser shot about 50 people and killed them in New Zealand. It's the same story as usual. Stupid, angry coward is our uh, go to term around here. And uh, that's, that's pretty much all you need to know all about All the respect or publicity he deserves. <laughs> yeah. Moving along. It's always a pleasure to welcome Victor Davis Hansen to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Mr. Hansen is a senior fellow in residence in classics and military history, the Hoover Institution at Stanford, among uh, many other credentials. He has a new book out called the case for Trump, and he joins us now. Mr. Hansen, how are you, sir?
4: Very good. Thank you for or, having me.
3: Or do you insist on being called doctor? I don't recall. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> uh, Victor is actually also uh, part of five generations of uh, farmers in Central Valley California Um So, listen, question number one, immigration, obviously, a hot, hot topic. Right now you had the vote in the Senate. Uh, If you followed it, you followed it. If you don't, I don't feel like uh, explaining it to the good folks. But uh, given how demagogued this issue is all the time, does it make a guy like you crazy? Uh, Because there are really interesting and and worthy of discussion angles to this, and they never seem to get
4: discussed. Yeah, but um, I'm looking out my window right now here uh, on my farm, and... uh... My complaint is that when I go to work at Stanford and when I'm here in the Central Valley, it kind of reflects the problem with the whole issue, and that is people who set the policy and virtue signal their their, uh, outrage at separation at the border or border enforcement, they never really experience the consequences of their own ideology. And by that I mean 20 miles to the south of me in, in December, Mr. Garcia killed three people, injured seven. Uh, he'd been deported twice, seven, seven felonies up toward the northern part of the valley and Newmark uh, Officer Singh was killed by Mr. Ariaga, whatever his name was, twice deported. We just had this Randy Larson in San Jose, same thing. And I guess what I'm getting at is that this never registers to Jerry Brown in kind of comfortable retirement in Grass Valley or Nancy Pelosi up in Nam. I, I'm not trying to demagogue it, I just think that the people who don't directly experience uh, illegal immigration or they feel that they experience only the benefits, cheap labor, they don't really understand what it's like. We had a shootout, the two gangs, most of whom were here illegally from Mexico and Central America about six weeks ago on our road. And when you hear that and you get a text from the Fresno County jailer that they've let these guys out just after three hours, even though they arrested two of them and then let them out. It's it's a real thing and I think that's what that's what the issue breaks down to. Those people who have been hit hit and the driver is run, or people whose children have been, been encountered a gang member versus the rest of the people who have no direct experience with it and then they have the luxury to sort of pontificate their outrage at everybody who's worried about it.
3: As a historian, what are your thoughts on countries that um get where we've gotten, where we're just growing to accept a multilingual society. I mean, presidential candidates didn't used to put out ads in two different languages, and now it's just, you know, commonly accepted, that sort of thing. Have we just decided, okay, we're going to be multicultural? M- m- I mean, well, two different cultures, two different languages, et cetera.
4: Well, we've had bouts with this. The German diaspora in the 1840s, or the Irish in the, in the 1850s, but they've always been one time, and they haven't been across a physical border of the United States. They came by sea. So my worry is I'm glad you asked that question because whether it's the Ottoman Empire or or whether it's late Roman Empire or whether it's Austria-Hungary or whether it's Rwanda today, there's no experience of any success in a multiracial, multilingual society unless there's a massive assimilation, integration, intermarriage, single culture effort. And when there's not, you can understand what happens. Everything balkanizes. People go identify with their tribal identities, and you get something where we're going to. And then it's manipulated by politicians who always pose as the protector of this um, protected victimized group or marginalized group. But problem in the United States is we have too many victims and not enough victimizers. So we end up with Jesse Smollett Smollett and... uh, the Covington kids and all that. We're desperate to find victim status for each group, and now they're in competition with each other. So it's hard to adjudicate uh, when we're going to have... All these candidates are going to be for reparations, but as soon as we go down that road, Asian Americans versus Latino Americans versus Native Americans versus gays versus females, there's not enough white male oppressors to make the necessary compensations for all of these groups. And then people can say, well, I just came, you know, I came from Finland 10 years ago and immigrated. What what do I have to do with the history of America? And then you have the other question, if it's so bad, why does half of Mexico and Central America want to get into this supposedly racist Anglo-Saxon Protestant tradition um, festival? And we have more more refugees, but we also have more legal and illegal immigrants coming in every year than any other country. And almost all the countries combined, take India out of the picture, and it's all the countries combined in the world don't accept as many immigrants as we do. And yet we're told that that's not enough. It's never enough.
3: Victor Davis Hanson is on the line. It, what is the the cure for the balkanization that you fear is coming? Is it a message of, of unity, a rededication to the idea of assimilation? What do you suggest?
4: That, I think, you have to close the border, secure it, let in about five hundred, four hundred thousand 400,000 legal immigrants, make sure they're diverse from Africa, Asia, Europe, uh, make sure they have meritocratic basis, they have some skill, make sure that they come only legally and make sure they come in measured numbers so they can be assimilated. And the host has to have confidence in its own traditions. We're in a schizophrenic situation right now in this society where we tear down statues of Columbus or Father Sarah, and we we do all these things, and we judge all these supposed horrible people that came to North America on the standards of the present. But we never ask ourselves, well, if they were so bad, how did this country become so good that you and your parents, if you're Ocasio Cortez or Elon Omar, why did you want to come here? Because they, the, the traditions of the founders, or uh, the industrialists, or the scientists, or what we did in World War One and World War Two, all of that is baked in, or bound up, or embedded with what the United States is today. And yet, you 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 say it's a garbage country, or it's almost worse than nothing, and yet you want to be here. And you don't want to be with well, your traditions that you champion in the abstract uh, flourish, where that's Puerto Rico or Somalia or parts of Asia. Why, if, that, if that alternate tradition is so much better than Western civilization, why aren't people flocking to join it? And the answer is they know it's not. They want to be here, but they feel that there's career advantages in this time and space for trashing the very host that accepted their parents.
3: Victor Davis Hanson has a book out called The Case for Trump. You know, what you laid out there in terms of an immigration policy polls really well, like really well with everybody. It's too bad we don't have the politics to you know, reflect that. You could get that past the idea of a that number based on meritocracy spread to a bunch of different places. I mean, that that's all popular stuff.
4: Uh, I don't think you could get it, though, because for all the talk about Republican obstructionism, they would go for it, Republicans were. But the Democrats in the last 20 years have flipped California with illegal immigrants sometimes becoming naturalized to the amnesty, sometimes with their children. They flipped they flip California, Nevada, probably Colorado and New Mexico, maybe Arizona next, and they feel that it's a very successful electoral formula and in some things, swing states. When you get 70%, 75% of the Latino vote, and then you cater to that. And when you when you mentioned that maybe Hillary Clinton was pretty reactionary, she was reactionary at a time when the Latino population was not a factor in electoral politics. Now it is. And they've made the necessary adjustment. So they'll never let it happen. It has to be done despite them or over their objection, because they do want a new constituency to vote for an agenda that they were afraid Maybe fifty-one percent of the people had rejected. Americans do not want this two thousand twenty trajectory of reparations, new green deal, uh, permissible infanticide, uh, seventy ninety percent wealth tax, uh, income tax, a wealth tax, Medicare for all, cancellation of student. We could go on, but it's more than just socialism. It's a holistic effort of equality, mandated equality result and uh, I don't think most people would vote for it, and so they know that, and so they're trying to uh, bring in as many people in the next 20 years so that type of agenda will be palatable, and if they can't change people's minds, they want to change the electorate.
3: You know, in the couple minutes we have left with Victor Davis Hanson, your book is The Case for Trump. We know you're, you're a thinking man, you're a scholar, you're a historian. I read the Peloponnesian War book. I haven't read this one. Well, yeah. good braggart. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, you're a thinking man. Donald Trump is a, a rather uh, colorful character. He, he, The two of you don't occupy the same space in my head, and yet you've written a book called The Case for Trump. Briefly, what's the book about?
4: Well, it's trying to be, a, it's not a rah-rah, Trump is a saint. It's not, of course, that he's a sinner. I just tried to be analytical, and I said, how did somebody with no experience political or military de- defeat 16 pretty good candidates in the primaries? He had this weird add on to the t- traditional message not just tax cuts, strict judge, constructionist judges, not just smaller government, but China is not fated to take over the world and we can stop it. The interior of America is not written off as a deindustrialized opiate place. It, you can save it with smart trade policy. The border doesn't have to be open. We don't have to always go on optional interventions abroad where we don't translate tactical battle success into strategic advantage. And that, when it was geared toward these 11 or 12 swing states, got him elected. And then uh, it wasn't just Trump in the general election, it was never Hillary for a lot of people as well. Once he got in, people said he'll either be a liberal or he will be incompetent. He was neither. And there was an, un- I talk in the book about the unprecedented effort of, the deep state the opposition to sue under the emoluments clause, the 25th Amendment, impeachment uh, Mueller, uh, try to warp the electoral college voting. This constant effort to abort his presidency and why they hate him so much, both his message and his background, his demeanor, his crass and callous a lot. And then finally, what's the prognosis for both Trump in 2020 and Trumpism after he's gone? So I tried to be analytical, and I know that the publisher wanted an edgy title. My title was A Case for Trump, or Trump Examined, but they thought, well, you know what? That's not going to get people motivated to buy it. And they were very very progressive, my editors at Basic Books, and their attitude was, write something that's dispassionate and analytical. Let me see if I would ever consider uh, voting for them. (laughs) That was a hard challenge.
3: (laughs) <laughs> but, but then they prostituted themselves by insisting on the definite article. Uh, it's, it's
4: yeah they did. They, but, exactly. So Victor, people come up to me and they'll, they'll say, I read the book. It was really fair. It wasn't, uh, you know, some of these books that are out that he's the greatest things in sliced bread. Why did you call it The Case for Trump? And I said, I didn't make the title, but you know, I'm, ha- I'm happy. I was on a plane yesterday and a guy looked over at me and he said, did you write this book? And I said, what book? And he opened up his computer and he brought it out. And he said, this is like a MAGA hat. I wouldn't dare be seen on this plane reading it with a cover. <laughs> so, wow. That was, that was pretty strange. Beautiful. Victor Davis Hanson,
3: the new book is The Case for Trump. Sounds really, really interesting. It's always a pleasure when we get to talk. Thanks a million. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, what he outlined there is a, uh, is, a, is, is a, an immigration policy that America wants but we don't have a system that can give it to us. And on a slightly different topic, I'll be amused for the rest of my life at the New York Times in particular in the wake of uh, Trump's victory, declaring that they had gotten wildly out of touch and really needed to go into the American heartland and try to understand America because they were too much time on Martha's Vineyard, not enough time with real Americans, blah, blah, blah. And that lasted for approximately 23 seconds. And then they went back to their old tricks. This is a book about... The real reasons the election unfolded the way it did. Sounds terrific. You're listening to The Armstrong and Getty Show.
5: Armstrong and Getty.
4: The conscience of the nation.
1: In Texas,
6: we have a problem with broadband in rural communities. People cannot start businesses in their hometown or finish their education after high school because they can't get online. They can't go to Tinder and find a date tonight to find that special person who's going to make the difference in their
3: lives. I want to make sure
6: every American has that opportunity.
3: I'm I'm sorry, did did he just... Was he smiling when he said that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Well, then, that's that's fantastic. fantastic. All right. That's fantastic. Where the hell did that come
5: from?
2: (laughs) I know it.
3: How long would it take to explain to many of the candidates what that meant? (laughs) (laughs)
6: Yeah, no kidding. And his ability to... (laughs) What the joke was there. His ability to land a line like that is one of the biggest differences between him and somebody like an Elizabeth Warren. Oh, God, no kidding. It's impossible for them to come off natural saying that.
3: Did he segue into the true significance of uh, the interwebs in uh, rural America? I'm assuming he did. Because if you can combine those two, man, you disarm somebody, then you hit them with the real message, and they, they want to love you. So, uh... Oh, hey, speaking of Tinder, came across this. The speaking most, of Tinder. The most common way. I don't know where this is going. The way... I'm about to tell you. I'm trying to predict it. I'm trying to guess <laughs> in my mind. It can go anywhere. How people meet their partners. The most common ways people met mm. the people with whom they stayed. And I it is, uh, it is revealing. I want to hear that.
6: Well, I will, uh, tell it to you. According to rom coms, it was bending down to pick up something I dropped at a coffee shop and we both bumped heads. <laughs>
3: <laughs> coffee shop head bump. 12% of people. You know, I don't know why I want to hear that because it, it plays no role <clears> in my <throat> life at this point, but, uh, I guess it would if it will for my kids. Boy, I heard something interesting the other day. Um, there's an author we need to get on, but, um, the guy was talking about the, the divisions and the hatred going ahead. Everybody's angry all the time. Everybody hates each other all the time. We're disconnected. The social media thing, we've talked about it a million times. But he, he pointed out that, and he, he, hit me, he hit us with an age range, you know, 18 to 27-year-olds are 30% less likely to be in love than they were 30 years ago. Oh, my God. There's no explaining that. We, we are in a loveless society. That has been my observation. No love. But- Interesting. we well, yeah, got talk about that. When what are we, we, talking... to love? When we talk about that? What's coming up in your news, Marsha Philip?
5: Well, major turn in the U.S.-North Korea nuke talks. The college admission scandal touching a lot of famous people. Two more have just come forward. <laughs> and we got more proof. Americans are not a nation
3: of savers. Hey, the, the important part about the North Korea story is you make it about Trump. Not about global nuclear war or anything like that. It's got to be about Trump. Is he a hero or a villain? Marshall? Well, right. so that's all that matters. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Remember, as you're enjoying this fabulous podcast of the radio show, you can also get the Armstrong and Getty One More Thing podcast and Armstrong and Getty Extra Large. Our long-form interviews available via the iTunes podcast app and the iHeart app. <laughs> I keep seeing the cover of Vanity Fair with Beto on there standing on a dirt road with his uh, old truck and his dog. And his old dog, which, according to one parody, is, is in unpaid intern's dog <laughs> and a rented pickup. So um, he loses his race to Ted Cruz in Texas and then goes on a solo road trip around the country to r- rural America to find himself? A listening tour, if you How know. long was he on this drive? I don't know. I heard a month or two or something. I don't know. If I told my wife... You know what? I just had a little setback at work. I think I just gotta take a month off and drive around the country and think. See ya. <laughs> and I don't know if she'd even be able to speak. No, there you're, would be no, you're not. The squinting of the eyes, the cocking of the head. The <laughs> First, you're joking. Yeah. First of all, no, you're not. And secondly, what would even make you think that was possible? Right. Right. Or if she said the same to me. No, no, you're not. But you're not married to an heiress with unlimited money, and, and... is he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah, they're crazy rich. I guess. I gotta find me one of those. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't hate the rich. I just want to be one. How many people um, have that option of taking a month off to drive around and right. find yourself? We'd all like to do it. Yeah, it no sounds kidding. freaking like a dream come true. Yeah, you go up to the gal man in the register in the convenience store, say, Hey, would you like to take a month off to drive around the country and find yourself? Don't worry about money. I think the, the yes rate would be 100%. Well, it's just, it just seems weird to me. This is being portrayed as kind of like an interesting, cool thing. Yeah, we'd all like to do that. No, it's very deep. He's very deep. We'd all like He's to do that. that He's He cares about Americans, Jack. Real Americans. <laughs> you can tell because he, he, he drove around the God, train. There's nothing I'd like to do more than that. Actually, I wouldn't because being away from my kids for that long would make me miserable. But, in theory, that's what I would like to do. Well, Welcome to Beto O'Rourke Theater. them. Just driving down this old dirt road in Texas here, and part of my my getting to know the people of America tour. And looks like my my Labrador Retriever needs to pee, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let him out of my old pickup truck here in my jeans. And wait a minute, who's that by the side of the road? That's famed photographer Annie Leibovitz. Just there in the desert. Hey, Annie, how are you? Good. Do you mind if I take your picture? No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> That's a charming dog. Yeah, be sure to get him in the shot. He's a good dog. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's a cool picture, though. Uh, let's yeah. get the news now with Phillips. Well, the White House is
5: condemning deadly attacks on two mosques in New Zealand. At least 49 people were killed during Friday prayers in what the Prime Minister is calling a terror attack. The White House issuing a statement this morning saying, in part, we stand in solidarity with the people of New Zealand and their government against this vicious
3: act of hate. Now what's important is that the world media, except for the Armstrong and Getty Show, joins together in making this guy as famous and as cool-looking as possible and making sure everybody knows what his grievances are because he bought his way into the world media. You have gripes, right? You have complaints. You have a point of view you'd like the world to hear. Nobody cares unless you can kill a bunch of people, kill lots of people, spill lots of blood. If you can include some kids, that would be even better. If you kill lots of people, the world media will publicize your point of view. That's how you get it done. We choose not to participate here. Cool picture in the New York Post of the scumbag in a leather jacket looking all mysterious. With some Stupid, his, angry coward. Some of his complaints about the world. Why would you give this guy that kind of pub? He's getting the same. You get the same sort of pub that Beto wanted to get on the front of Vanity Fair. Right. The New York Post has given this guy because he killed people.
6: You are doing the terrorist propaganda work for yeah, him.
3: Exactly. It's a weird thing to do. CNN going wall to wall this morning. I'm I'm telling you, I listened for twenty minutes on the way into work. Wall to wall with the Donald Trump's rhetoric has caused this. It's just freaking absurd. Really? Oh. It was unbelievable. In New Zealand? Well, his use of the term invasion in terms of uh, illegal immigration. Evidently, the stupid, angry coward used a similar term or the same term in his 80-page screen or whatever. Well, I can't remember how long it was, and I don't care. Um, So, yes, that's the tie-in on CNN, America's number 10 cable network.
5: On another matter, the cat-and-mouse game does continue. North Korea now threatening to suspend negotiations with the Trump administration over the North's nuclear arms program. And, and saying its leader,
3: Kim Jong-un, would soon decide whether to resume nuclear and missile tests. It's looking more and more like the inevitable, nearly inevitable outcome is the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huh? and it's just, it's just frustrating that so much of the conversation immediately goes to... Trump being stupid or played or whatever. What else were we going to do? We've tried everything else. What were we going to do that was going to come up with any different ending? Nothing. Sure. Clinton and Carter failed. Bush failed. Obama failed. Trump's trying something different. Probably going to fail. Talking to diplomats. And he probably knew that. Uh Uh-huh. Doesn't said as much?
5: Talking to diplomats and foreign correspondents in uh, North Korea, the vice foreign minister said that personal relations between Mr. Kim and Mr. Trump were, quote, still good and the chemistry
3: is mysteriously wonderful. Mysteriously ah, wonderful. Sounds like love to me. Yep. So if uh, fathead shoots off a rocket to test it or a bomb, I just wonder how the world's going to react, how we're going to react, what Trump's going to say. Where are we then? Crazy starvation sanctions and a uh, regime to enforce them. But do you think it would immediately turn to all right? That's it, or would he still try to get back the magic? What does that it? I mean,
6: though? No, like, what's
3: no more negotiations? No, no just... more us beating. No more pretending we're friends. Let's we're back to guns pointed at each other. Right. Right. I think that's most likely, honestly. <laughs>
5: Amazing how well-known and well-utilized Rick Singer's college admissions service was. Among those who used the services of the college admissions cheater Singer... San Francisco 49ers Hall of Famer, Joe Montana. Oh, Joe! Saying his family got consulting assistance from Singer's Company, but that was it. Nothing more than minimal consulting services with the college application
3: process. Okay, well, that's okay. Everybody that has Mm -hmm. been doing that forever is doing that today and will continue to do it. You hire people to coach your kid on how to write, well, they write the essay for them. And then they uh, help them uh, on how to take the tests. And, and then help them choose their extracurriculars for maximum effect. Right. So there, there are, whole are many different... I find disgusting. Multiple
6: packages you could select from this guy. It doesn't seem like Joe Cool <laughs> went with the Photoshop. Right. My son's head onto my body. <laughs> right. 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 For instance, right. yeah. And here uh, I am
3: winning the Super Bowl. And I had no idea, because we're normal in my house, that there are tens of thousands of these people ooching about the mm-hmm. country, these admissions consultants who uh, offer a variety of services. That's Tens of thousands.
5: Yeah, Montana tweeting, quote, Fortunately, our kids were able to pick from a number of schools to attend due to their hard work and their merit.
3: And their parents. And the fact that you're Joe Montana's kid. Didn't hurt. <laughs> Which would sound pretty cool to have at the school.
5: And golf. Pro... And I'm
3: thinking if I admit you to the school, maybe I get to meet your dad someday. Uh, and there's, Golf Pro... Remember the catch? <laughs> And
5: Golf, that was
6: awesome. Uh, <laughs> Golf
5: pro Phil Mickelson says he used the company as well to guide his family through the college admission process. In his tweet, Mickelson says he is shocked by the revelation of these events, adding, obviously we are not part of this fraud. Our kids would disown us if we ever tried to interfere. Way to, way to go, Lefty. He's way down. to
3: go. Well, the fraud is completely mockable. You're a weirdo, and I love making fun of you. The hiring all these consultants is just... I don't know. Well, it's just what it is. But, but it's legal. I, yeah, I, and I kind of get it. If you're, like, super rich and you travel a lot like Phil would, the college admissions process is incredibly time-consuming, expensive, and exhausting these days. So, you know, I could I see, yeah, we'll hire somebody to help yeah, you fill out the apps system. and everything. What a oh, stupid system. It's indefensible. Yes, burn it down. Burn it down.
6: <laughs>
5: All right, that's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the
3: conscience of the nation. We got this text. I met my wife when we bumped into each other, and my chocolate bar fell into her peanut butter jar. Oh. Joe has got... That's how Reese's peanut butter comes (laughs) out. And it's a Freudian nightmare. Uh (laughs) Joe has got how people meet coming up. Yes. If you haven't met somebody yet, you're going to want to pay attention and go to those places. Right? Immediately. Assuming they are places, and many of them are not places. I'm guessing funerals, emergency rooms, my clothes, DMV. DMV. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That'd be a good one. You you could talk for a long time to someone at the DMV. Well, and if you can get any chemistry going in the funereal atmosphere of the DMV, you're made for each other. (laughs) You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. I have to talk TV and movies. I got a number of things piling up here and new stuff that's coming out or whatever that, uh, that I'm excited about. Yeah, if you want to wallow in the horror of New Zealand, go somewhere else. We're just, we don't glorify. Stupid, angry cowards who kill a bunch of people. Mass. We, don't, we don't publicize their message for them because they bought it with blood, like the other networks do. Mass shooting, <laughs> about fifty dead, same as all these other stories. That's all you need to know. Horrifying. I thought uh, well, well, not, you could mention that the guy seemed to have an anti-Muslim thing. Okay, there you have it. But it's always an anti-something thing. So, right. Right. Um, I heard the story last night, and I thought there's literally. I started to Google it, and, uh, and I thought there's just there's no information. What could I possibly need to hear about this? Nothing. So then I just said, okay, I know what these are. Yep. Yep. So I thought this was really interesting. This is the most common ways people met the partner with whom they have a uh, long-term relationship. And it's, you know, this, this poll is, it's good. It's smart because the number one thing mentioned is met through friend. Yeah, that's been, yeah. It's been a big deal in my life. They also have a bunch of locations, you know, school, party, college, church, that sort of thing, um, and they often intersect. Uh-huh. I was introduced by friends at college, so it checks both boxes. Right. Um, I was always amazed when I when I was single and hanging around with single people. I and mean, people say, "I don't feel like going to bars," and I always think almost nobody meets who they date. Or marry at bars. Almost nobody, but people throw that out all the time as the like the place you have to do it, and they don't they don't want to. Yeah. but that's not where people meet. You know, it's funny because um, I've never minded a cocktail or two, um, but I never wanted to go out to the bars with the fellas in in college. Um, Come on, let's go, let's meet some girls. I just I just didn't like the atmosphere. I wanted to play pool, yeah, and get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, number one response by far. Uh, number one, uh, about thirty percent said met through friend. Hmm. Um, interestingly enough, <laughs> I was actually—that's one of the the
6: jokes that I use when I do my my open mic stuff—is that well, I met the maybe my friends will introduce me to somebody age, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for for yeah. dating like yeah. you know I don't, you know
3: that's uh, a good one though because bo- you know you know both people and you think although I've had that happen before where. I'd catch on later that this was going on. I think you thought I being hurt. Well, well, thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Some friend you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bar slash restaurant is actually the second most mentioned thing at around eighteen <laughs> percent. Really? But then I'm looking at this cross sectional chart, which bar is slash restaurant, okay, which is a little difficult to uh, to describe on the radio. It's a visual, but. It's it's clear that, whereas a bar slash restaurant has quite an intersection with, um, through family, um, that sort of thing. A pu- there's public bar restaurant. It's not nearly as many people. So it's, you know, we went out to eat, and we really hit it off.
5: Yeah, with a group of people. Or
3: yeah. introduced by friends or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that happens. Sure, that happens. It's more complicated. Number three is met through coworker. So, can't have that. That's met. Can't, have, it, can't have anything uh, t- tangentially related to work. Oh, is that harassment? Can't have. Can't have that. Well, he- met through coworker is not. I'm dating a coworker. She practically pimped me though. It was disgusting. Meat merchant introducing me to her friend. It was horrifying. Uh, met through coworker is very close to met through friend though, isn't it? In a lot of cases. I mean, if it's a coworker, know, you, know, you look around here. <laughs> co-workers right. are not friends right. if you if you <laughs> Those two are coworkers. you two numbskulls are done, I will point out that it's unlikely unlikely to be a co-worker with whom you are unfriendly <laughs> who would introduce you? Listen, I think you're a prick and you're lazy and you put all your work on the. I rest want to of introduce us. you to my ex-wife <laughs> <laughs> but I know I know a gal who she's perfect for you yeah you know, so it's it's practically the same as friend met through family, then school. Met online, that's around 10%. So we're already down to 10%. So now we're slicing it pretty thin. Uh, College customer? Customer. Hmm. Customer. I have been the customer and uh, ended up in a few relationships that way. Are we talking prostitution?
6: (laughs) No. no, no, Because that's not a relationship, (laughs) Jack.
3: I'm just really that sick, and it's sad. (laughs) Were you at a Florida strip mall when you met her is what I'm asking. (laughs) <laughs> With Robert Kraft. Is she a recent arrival from the Orient, as they used to say? Uh, customer. That's kind of a fun one. I mean, that's, oh, man, my wife. Honey. Straight out of one of them Hallmark movies she loves so well. <laughs> ding, ding, the door opens. He walks into her little card shop. She's struggling to get going on the New Hampshire coast after her recent divorce and/or and or <laughs> yeah, widowhood. He in walks a, in and smiles. I'm in town for a wedding. I just need this last minute wedding gift thing. Yeah, I'm so awkward at these things. He says and smiles again. Turns out my All date right. can't.
6: I, I got a plus one.
3: All right. <laughs> 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 You're me throw up. Of course, I sit there watching sports like an idiot. So who am I to complain? <laughs> Don't we have to answer the question? How did you meet Judy? Uh, it was, and, and actually I was kind of looking for, we were both doing something we like to do, and I happened to be doing it in You're the same LARPing. Place. We were LARPing. <laughs> Live action role play, yeah. <laughs> Medieval themed. That's right. I was in a full <laughs> King Henry VIII outfit, and she was a milkmaid.
6: Frankly, she owned a bit of skin. Think mm-hmm. of like a renaissance fair without all the structure. Right.
3: right. Why damsel? You appear to be in distress. M'lady. I say a lot of miladies. Oh yeah, I had a, one of them big giant turkey legs in my hand and <laughs> she was hungry. I said, "Sure you can have a bite of my leg."
6: Milady, <laughs> milady.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Now we're uh she was she was in a musical and I was in the band. There you go. in, uh, in college age. Uh let's see uh, Zabadab. where were we? Church met through neighbor volunteering. That's nice. But that's, you know, whether it's Party. I skipped party. Mind if I volunteer my private parts? Oh God, that was not skillful at all. I, sir, we're trying to Michael, save the
6: rainforest too, here. Too
3: forward. Edit <laughs> that attempt out when we uh, when we actually air I will. the show. Thank you. Uh, blind date is uh, about two and a half percent. It looks like military. I've actually known a huh. couple of people who who got together while in the military, and I don't know that many people, but uh, I guess it's not that common. Of course, not that. I guess I tend to know more military families than a lot of people know. I guess, come to think of it, uh, work neighbors. What does that mean? Is that like
6: co-worker? You uh, work in the same office building, but not at the same company.
3: Okay, hmm, right. Yeah. I okay. So we, yeah. we
6: find ourselves in the cafeteria and uh, strike up a conversation. Something oh like that. yeah,
3: there's a cute gal who uh, comes in super early for her job at some law firm or something. I, I wrote a, a ride up in the elevator with her probably once a month. If we weren't otherwise detached, there's chemistry there. You make small talk? I know chemistry. Oh, yeah. My new thing is when I get on the elevator, and if somebody, uh, if we say what floor, and if somebody says five, I say, yeah, five, me too, that's the cool floor, isn't it? That's what I say to people. I do. That's where the fun happens. <laughs> that's why I wait right for the reaction. You know we're what? on the cool floor. All right. Five, four, five. <laughs> Team five. You know what? She do- She's on the third, I think. I'm going to hit her with a little uh, ooh, ooh, third floor ghetto. Mm. <laughs> Uh, I hear it's rough down there. Ooh. Single service is down to about a percent and a half. And then business trip looks to be about a third of a percent. Hey, did I space out? I'm in the bar, a little drunk, lonely. I got a room. She's in the bar, a little lonely, a okay. little drunk. Um, did I space out or was online not on there anywhere? Um, I may have
2: skipped
3: it. was around it. 10%. Okay. Yeah. Single service. That's not online. Yeah, it was around ten percent. I haven't tried to date in a quite a number of years now, but um, my perception was that the online thing was really growing. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, well, Met online is, is is about ten percent, but it's in sixth place. This is who? Where did you meet
6: the person you ended up with? Meeting online, I. It's not surprising to me that that's not the
3: okay. the end game of your your
6: swiping rights.
3: Gotcha. Well, yeah, the uh, it used to be dating apps were for, for relationships. Now it's for. Sad, sick, shallow, sexual Congress. Yes. I was going to go through no. all my long-term relationships. It'd be friend, work, work, friend, and then like all friends met through friends, church, friends, mutual activity. Yeah. Yeah. And you, certainly, friends were involved in all of those. I ended up in the band for that musical through friends. Come to think of it, there you go. Have, you go. For have friends. he No <laughs> friends, and keep the old. You have no friends. You just oh, you're, there you go. Get some friends. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: You may know Jackson Pollock, the painter famous for his iconic drip paintings, but what do you know about his wife, artist Lee Krasner? On Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock, the story of the artist who reset the market for American abstract painting, just maybe not the one you're thinking of. Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick